Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Uh, hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery, and today I'm thrilled to have Sajid Rahman, who's an international leader with a director level exposure in key emerging markets. He's currently building a global digital health company and he also works closely as advisory board members and investors to technology and energy companies in US, Asia and UK. He's built the first technology accelerator program in Bangladesh, as well as the first accelerator program for the rural areas. He's a prolific angel investor in, in more than 500 companies uh, from Silicon Valley, Southeast Asia and Africa. His portfolio includes among many like Zendit, Sync, FabFit Fund, VFox, Rappi, Clutter, etc. Uh, thank you so much for coming onto the show, Sajid. Thanks, Rohit. It's a pleasure. Awesome. So, you, you know, uh, you have a very interesting background. Uh, you, you you were a banker earlier, then you built uh, the, uh, the the uh, you part of Telenor company. How did you get into the world of it, investing into startups? So when I was uh, when I was in the banking, uh, a couple of uh, young entrepreneurs approached me. They were into fintech space, right. and they wanted someone uh, who understands the banking regulations and can can help them in, in navigating the regulatory landscape in right. in banking world. Uh, so they wanted an advisor, and I started advising them. Uh, they were into companies and sites. Uh, but after a few uh, you know months, they wanted to raise some funds, and uh, given that I already knew them, I wrote a small check, a personal check. Uh, but then there were other angel investors on that round, so I get to know them and they sort of, uh, you know, introduced me to the whole world of investments. Uh, I, got, I got really hooked <laughs> into this whole process and the excitement around it. And then of course, you know, uh, I started writing, uh, now almost in 500 companies. Got it. And, uh, you know, Sajid, you've invested across the world. Uh, what, what do you think about portfolio construction when you have such a large uh, portfolio with you? I think, uh, you know, one of the basic things for angel investment is, of course, uh, I mean, the, the earlier you, you go into an investment cycle, the wider the portfolio should be. Uh, because you're, you're taking high risk. Uh, it, it is not a spray and pray method, but the portfolio should be large enough to absorb a geographical risk or you know, stage risk or vertical risk and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, so when I started investment, I was not very consciously doing it in the sense that I, it's not like I was, I was writing the same amount of checks uh, per year and things like that, which I got to know later as I went through all these investment books and podcasts and all those things. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, uh, I, at the very early stage, I did have a idea that, you know, if I, if I don't spread our, my investment bet big, big and large enough, uh, it might be quite risky. Uh, so yeah, so I, anyone thinking of going into angel or seed stage or early investment, uh, portfolio construction is very critical. Got it. And, uh, you know, you interestingly uh, have spent a lot of lot of time on emerging markets, especially India, China, Indonesia. Uh, how much of your capital allocation does go into, into emerging markets? And uh, is it still attractive, uh, you know, going forward to uh, be into emerging markets or is your advice uh, is to invest more into U.S. companies? I think emerging markets is uh, still, uh, still early. So right. there, is, uh, there is a big delta. Uh, to have in these markets. Uh, 
in terms of my total capital allocation, of course, you know, uh, I'm not using the book value because that would distort the whole outcome. But in general, in terms of the amount of checks I wrote so far, I think roughly 70% uh, would be in uh, developed markets like US and Europe. Right. And the rest 30% would be in emerging markets. Uh, but of course, I mean, if I take the book value, it will be, you know, 60-40. Uh, uh, the reason actually is that when I started uh, my investment, I was mostly you know, uh, focused on U.S. given that all the platforms available to access deals. But as I went uh, deeper into investments, I of course have uh, you know, developed a network to have a good deal for access for emerging markets and started skewing towards that. Uh, so while I started writing checks a bit late on the emerging markets, I am actually now writing more checks in the at least past year or so in emerging markets. Right. And, and, and do you think, you know, China, India and Indonesia with, with the young populations and, and uh, you know, uh, more consumption are, are going to upstage, you know, the, the developed countries in another 10 uh, or 10, 15 years? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I think in terms of, of course, I mean, you know, it's a risk versus return. So emerging markets, uh, businesses are clearly high risk, uh, you know, so because for the simple reason that the ecosystem is not developed enough. Right. So getting the getting later rounds is difficult for startups in this market. So sometimes uh, the startups are not, uh, for, uh, in many cases, startups, startup founders are first time. So they don't have enough experience like, like you usually get in some US cases. The team, building a, a good team is also difficult. So there are all these challenges in emerging markets. But at the same time, if one can get into uh, a startup at the right price, I think the delta is much higher. Uh, because I, I firmly believe, you know, uh, whether it's India or Indonesia or markets in Africa like Nigeria, okay. I firmly believe these are very early stages of digitization. I mean, we have seen what, you know, the recent bid by Facebook uh, in, in Geo. And this clearly shows that, you know, the global companies believe that there is a long runway in many of these markets. And uh, I mean, if you look at some of the data in terms of mobile penetration, that's very high. But if you look at the data usage, that's still not there or where it, where it can be. So clearly there is a play to be made here. Right. And, and you, you know, um, our, I have much uh, younger, you know, listeners who listen to your podcast uh, and, you know, they would, if they would want to start writing checks, what is your advice to them on how to, you know, uh, uh, look at angel investing? Uh, you know, uh, I, I know you've invested into 500 companies, but but any advice for younger, uh, you know, founders or entrepreneurs or people who would want to get writing, you know, smaller checks into into companies? Or what should they should they still focus on developed markets, or should they look at the the local economies and start helping out and advising and investing there? So I think there are a couple of things uh, anyone going to investments uh, uh, should uh, you know should keep in mind. First of all, uh, you know that person needs to build a portfolio. It's not about writing one or two checks. Uh, a person at least uh, should have a, a, you know invest in 10, 15, 20 companies if not right. more. So that's fine. Second is uh, if a person is uh, you know starting to write his checks. Uh, I mean one of the mistakes I made uh, is uh, is uh, is this whole FOMO thing, right? The fear of missing out. Right, and right. that sometimes makes one rush to write checks into companies, which the person may regret later. Uh, I think one thing to remember is that even if you miss a good company, there will be another company in the horizon. So don't, you know, don't get into this FOMO. Uh, take your time, do the due diligence, and then write a check. So that's the second one. 
in terms of the, you know, one of the things, uh, given the way this, this platforms have developed over time, this whole syndicate concept really helps because that essentially means that you are writing checks along with people who have already done that and learned from their mistakes. So that exactly. way, as, as an early investor or as a first-time investor, you are making, a, you know, you're take, get, getting advantage of the experiences of others. So if possible, get into the syndicates and try to co-invest with others who have already done it. So that way you can avoid a lot of mistakes. So that's the third. And in, on the question of local versus international, I think, uh, I mean, I mean, it depends on what sort of investor you want to be. If you, if you want to invest in startups just as part of a portfolio construction, i.e. let's say you have hypothetically, let's say $10,000 of that you want to spend, invest 5,000 in public market and 5,000 in, in startups. Uh, yeah. And then forget about it. Then you know. Then I suggest you get into syndicate, and if the syndicate brings a deal in, let's say in India or Indonesia or in US, you go along with it. Yeah. But if you want to be an investor who actually want to also get involved with startups in terms of helping them, giving advices, then clearly, I mean, if you're into the into the locality, that helps in terms of access. Excellent. Uh, you know, Sajid, you you also uh, been a founder in companies, and uh, you also invest uh, on the side. Um, how do you split your time, and what does your your day look like? Uh, do you, when you're actively investing and and also running uh, as an operator? So, uh, so my day job, of course, is building the health health company. Uh, and you know, I mean, given the whole uh, COVID nineteen thing, it's it's a very busy space now so right. that really is keeping uh, me busy uh, we are seeing huge traction on this whole head tech so so that really keeps me busy but um, you know investment is a sort of a passion for me in the sense that it it gives you a frontline seat to the best and the brightest of the world right so i have invested in companies uh, you know i mean companies where which are run by nobel laureates uh, the the person who who did the first sequencing of dna uh, Oh. You know, very, very bright people, uh, you know, and when you invest in these companies and you get into a call with some of them, you know, the, the exposure that one gets is really, you know, is really breathtaking. So, so I really like that exposure and, and get investment. Uh, I, what I usually do is well, most of my investments are essentially I just invest and, and I don't get involved into companies uh, unless the founder specifically asks for it. So most of the cases, my involvement is very minimal. I do a couple of cases where the founders actually ask me to help them as an advisor. There, of course, my, my investment or my involvement is more hands-on. But even as an advisor, we really need to don't get involved on a day on a day-to-day. It's mostly like once a month, once in two months, whenever the founder needs help on any specific area, only then I get involved. Got it. And are there any benefits of uh, or any challenges of investing and operating simultaneously? I actually think it's it's great. I mean, unless one wants to be a professional investor, right? So unless one wants to be an investor, like having a fund on his or her own and run it, then of course, you know, I mean, it's very difficult to do both. I know people who, who do it, who has a fund, uh, you know, like I get other people money and managing it as well as operate. But, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes get difficult if the fund gets bigger. But in general, I think actually it complements very well. Uh, Given, uh, you know, the, the uh, startup investment gives uh, an investor so much exposures on a way of thinking, on the recent trend, the organization challenges that are faced by the investing companies, uh, there's actually a lot of learning. Uh, the learning is cross, uh, you know, cross-border in the sense that 
whatever you are learning as an operator, you can bring that to the table when you're talking with the founders and whatever you're learning from the founders, you can bring back to your operating role. So I think there's a very good cross-pollination that can happen. Right. And, uh, you know, you interestingly pointed about, about the COVID situation. So, you know, uh, what uh, you've been, you've been, uh, you know, working for a, for a, of, of, for a time where you've seen the 2008 subprime uh, situation, what uh, analogies of prior downturns and recessions uh, can we look to learn from uh, for, for younger founders who've not seen the recession before? I think a couple of things. Um, I mean, you know, there is no harm being over conservative, right? So, so right. for the founders, if you think that, okay, you know, I, I have a runway of eight months, but because of this COVID thing, I want to extend my runway to 16 months or 18 months, please do it. Uh, there's no harm being conservative. The, the worst thing that can happen is that you, you are over conservative. So you probably didn't, didn't take advantage or grow as fast. But not being conservative can be very, very dangerous. I mean, nothing can be worse than actually shutting down the business. And, you know, the, the jury is still out what, what type of recovery are you looking at. It is, I think, broadly agreed now that the V-shaped recovery is not happening. Well, that was the initial hypothesis. It's not happening. Nice. So we are not going back to our previous way of life immediately. So the theory now is that either we go in U-shape or L-shape, depending on how long this... Uh, shutdown continues, when we get the vaccine, whether there is a relapse of the virus spread and stuff like that. So, so we are looking at anywhere between, uh, you know, eight months, 12 months, 24 months. Some oh. particular specific industries may actually take longer to come back. You know, we're talking about uh, airlines, uh, travel uh, resorts, uh, you know, large games and stuff. So those may take longer to come back. So in this scenario, uh, it's very difficult to compare with previous uh, downturns because each downturn has its own. So one downturn was mostly driven by mortgage you know, in banking sector, not driven by startups, but startups did get impacted because you know, the cash flow got impacted. But then again, you know, it came back uh, within a few years. The other one, which was a dot-com bubble, I didn't see that, but you know, the dot-com bubble obviously was driven by startups and that obviously had a more of an impact on startups and it took longer to come back. This one is very unique uh, in the sense that it, it is actually completely out of the realm of financial sector, right. uh, health sector, which is actually much more uh, you know, personal and much more closer to our everyone's. Uh, so the impact on financial sector is most likely second or third order. Um, so it's a, it's a bit unique, uh, but I personally think uh, what we need to do for any sort of founder uh, reserve cash, if, anywhere possible, reserve cash to extend the runway. Correct. And um, uh, 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 so, you know, when you, when you look at uh, investing into, into startup, what gets you excited? Is it, is it the team, the market or the idea? Because you don't have too many numbers to, to run through. Uh, but, but, you know, how important is, is either of the three, uh, you know, parameters? So the way I, you know, whenever I come across a startup uh, you know, investment opportunity, of course, first I look at the market itself. I mean, the space they're working in. Right. So if, if that's something, I mean, uh, you know, because I, you know, of course, as an investor, it's, it's ideal to read a lot. And the more you read, the more idea you have of what's happening. So right. if it's something I find that, you know, the trend looks very interesting and the space is, uh, the space the startup is, is working in is quite interesting. So of course, yeah, that helps. The second thing is, uh, so once, I, once it passes that initial uh, you know, uh, selection criteria, then I, 
talk with the founder and find out whether I, I'm really excited about the founder's vision and the team. So for me, the space comes first, but I mean, before making a startup investment decision, I talk with the founder. And if, if, if talking with the founder, it, it really excites me about the vision, then I invest. Um, so you can say that the team actually is, is, is the decision criteria finally. Got it. And, uh, you know, since you invest, uh, uh, you know, all across the world, how do you get the deal flow? Uh, is, it, is it through AngelList syndicates or uh, is it through accelerators, you know? Uh, how, how does a how does a you know somebody who wants to build his portfolio construction across uh, you know geographies look at uh, deal flow? So so I get quite a, uh, quite a bit of deal flows from my personal connections because right. uh, because I work in Africa I know a lot quite a few guys who are quite active in the ecosystem. I of course know quite a few guys in you know Southeast Asia who are quite involved in ecosystem. Know many in India and uh, and of course quite a few in US. So. So those network really helps. Um, I mean, and all this started, it, none of this happened overnight, right? So all this, start, all this happened over time when I invest in one company. For example, you know, I have seen many cases where one founder, you know, refer another founder to me. So a lot of my deal flow came from those referrals where a founder, where I invested, referred the other founder to me. So that's one. Of course, the syndicates like AngelList, uh, Funders Club, uh, you know, those really help because you know, uh, again, I mean, the people who are running uh, many of these syndicates are also personally known to me. So, right. you know, so we, 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 we develop a relationship over time. So that also helps. Uh, but I think the good thing about this AngelList syndicate and others, because they have automated a lot of things, a lot of these networking connection deal flow, that for any new investor, that's a very good way to start. Right. And, and do you think, you know, the Angelus syndicates will, will disrupt venture capital one day? Or is it going to be, you know, a part of, uh, you know, uh, seed stage capital? I, so, you know, so what's happening in Angelus, actually, there are many late stage deals. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, talk, I'm looking at, I have seen deals in Angelus, which are valued at billions of dollars, right? Oh, uh, yeah. And those, those are like, you know, I mean, and we all know those companies by a name. So, so Angelus actually is no longer you know, confined to seed or early stage. I mean, they have a pre-IPO deals, late stage deals, you know, unicorns coming there to raise. Uh, but of course, I mean, uh, you know, in AngelList, you are not going to raise uh, 10 or 15 or 20 or 15 million dollars, right? So when you're a late stage company, you're mostly raising somewhere with the VCs and then AngelList is probably coming out with, with a check, checks of a few million. So I don't think platforms like AngelList can replace or will replace late stage uh, VCs right. uh, because that requires uh, the investors to take a board seat, get really involved with the founders and stuff like that, which AngelList syndicate or the, or the syndicate leads may do at early stage, but not at late stage because they still can't write that level of checks. So these two will coexist. Uh, where AngelList probably has disrupted already is early stage funding, especially you know, uh, pre-seed or seed stage. Where it has, where you know, it has not completely eliminated our seed fund, as we can see the many many seed funds now. But it has become a quite a good source of funding for many many startups. Right, and uh, you know, before the call, we were talking about about Sequoia and other funds, uh, uh, especially you know, SoftBank and uh, you know other large funds who are playing at seed stage. So, so what are your thoughts on that? Do do you think you know it's it's a good idea for Sequoia? To, to, to come out with Sequoia search and SoftBank also looking at seed uh, funding? 
Well, these are just, you know, where to get a deal flow, right? So what's happening is, uh, you know, you, you see all these late stage funds, which has raised billions of dollars. Right. And they, for, you know, I mean, obviously things will change after this COVID thing. But before right. COVID thing, you know, it was the founders were, right? So founders were negotiating a hard deal. You know, investors are fighting with each other to get into these deals. The price where valuation was sky high. So all those things created a FOMO. And then all these large funds, they have raised billions and they thought that can we get a dip in the company earlier so that, you know, they can later, you know, lead the later rounds. So, so that's where a lot of these companies came in a bit early. Uh, and you see SoftBank launching their own, uh, you know, early stage funds. Sequoia started all these programs for SAG and everything. So these are all uh, in an effort to get uh, a dip into a company early in their cycle so that they can later, uh, you know, lead the uh, later rounds and stuff like that. Uh, so th th those are there. Of course, things will change after this COVID-19 thing. I think, I think uh, many, many funds will go away. Uh, many right. small seed stage funds will go away. Uh, many funds will struggle to raise their new, new funds on their own from LPs because LPs will start re reallocating, especially institutional LPs, because their public market exposure will get, uh, is already impacted. So they'll start reallocating funds between different uh, portfolios. So there'll be a challenge. There'll be a fund crunch, and then of course, uh, you know, that makes that means that uh, startups raising funds will be very difficult. Uh, but those who will raise funds will have an easier way to build because the cost will go down. Right, and uh, you, you know, you've talked about the the the, the COVID scenario. How how much do you think the valuations are going to change, or do you think uh, uh, there going to be more flat and down rounds uh, going ahead? Yeah, it's already happening. So what I'm saying now is, um, so, uh, so, so three things are happening, right? So there are a group of companies who were basically didn't, didn't uh, make it in the sense that didn't uh, achieve the unit economics, didn't achieve the product market fit, were already right. struggling. So those companies are dying away in any case. Uh, it's just accelerated now. Then there are a couple of companies which were doing well. Let's, you know, I mean, Airbnbs and other companies which were, you know, really star, but it's just because of this event, their revenue has gone fallen by 70, 80, 90%, in some cases, 100%. So yes. for them, uh, raising a fund means taking a flat as a best case, or in many cases, taking a down run. Uh, and a cut maybe anywhere between 20% to 40%, and I'm already seeing that happen. And then, of course, there are very few companies which are actually having uh, you know, this event as a tailwind. They're, uh, they're having better engagements, lower cost of acquisition of customers. So they are raising an up round uh, in these cases, but the, they are very limited. In most of the cases, it is either flat or a down round of 30, 40%. No, interesting you pointed out about, about certain sectors which are going to do well. We, we understand that you know the, the real estate market or the travel industry uh, might not do so well, but well, are there any, any sector or areas where you think you know, like the customer acquisition costs are going to go and, uh, you know, uh, let's take the example of Zoom, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the MEUs have gone, you know, 10, 20 times over the last three months. But are there any areas where you'd find that, you know, after the COVID area, this is where the founders can, can start looking at building products? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, so two things I think in general is, is going to happen with COVID is this whole, you know, whole digitization of, of services, so offline to online. I think that will really ramp up because a lot of people through this COVID experience are now consuming services digitally. Uh, and, you know, so that is, drive, that is uh, driving a behavior which probably would have taken longer. Now it has significantly accelerated. So I think 
in general, it's, it's a good time for tech companies because uh, where they were struggling a lot on uh, consumer adoption is, has happened. COVID has pushed it. So it's, it's good uh, as an over, overall umbrella for tech companies. Now, within tech companies, of course, there are areas which are clearly getting advantage. So, I mean, of course, I mean, health tech is a big thing. The whole uh, consulting doctor over phone video was, was difficult as a behavior, but now it has really pushed it. Ed tech, we are seeing, has, has benefited from that. Uh, any any uh, products are working with collaboration tools, remote working, they're having a good time and they will continue to see the upside. Video streamings and others obviously has benefited. Uh, gamings have benefited. Uh, I will say indoor farming, that will, that will benefit. Uh, you'll see, you know, delivery, you know, grocery deliveries and others that obviously has benefited and will continue to benefit. So e-commerce in general will probably come out as a winner out of this whole, whole space. Um, yeah, so even, uh, you know, uh, not ride sharing as such, but, you know, the scooters and the bike, they, they may come up as a winner of this whole episode. Yeah, so there are many spaces where after COVID-19, I think there are uh, huge scopes to get businesses. Right. Interesting. You you pointed about you know offline retail moving to online, and we've got to talk about uh, you know the Facebook investment into into Reliance uh, Industries in India, where they they made an investment of five billion dollars for a ten percent stake, valuing uh, you know Reliance Geo at uh, at a you know fifty five billion dollar company. So so do you think it's 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 a, uh, uh, it's very interesting how how the Indian ecosystem has allowed Amazon uh, and uh, you know the Walmart to to enter into into, into Indian uh, ecosystem. Ecosystem, but do you think it's it's a good idea for Facebook to invest into 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 uh, into India? And do you think are there going to be any challenges about data sharing and all? Uh, there would be, there would be. Uh, but I think you know so the reason Facebook invested in in the EU is quite clear, right? So Facebook started this whole uh, uh, you know uh, the free Facebook app uh, at one time, but then right. of course they they couldn't do it because of the whole net neutrality thing and stuff like that. So. For them, this is a very clear way to get into the India market. Uh, the other thing is, uh, you know, the WhatsApp. So I invest in a company called Vahan, which is uh, based out of uh, WhatsApp. Uh, and the usage of WhatsApp in India is so high that you are seeing uh, people building businesses. And you, I think you, you probably have noticed that Geomart launched on WhatsApp and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. clearly there's a lot of synergy to be built here. And given the, the whole infrastructure that Geo has built, I, you know, by giving people access to data at a very almost nil cost, that opens a huge opportunity for companies like Facebook and WhatsApp uh, to really, you know, build their businesses. So, so that's that would be good. In the in the end, uh, I think consumers will come out as a winner because there there'll be more competition and they will get products and services at a cheaper cost. Uh, so, I think overall it's a net positive for Indian ecosystem. And, uh, you know, uh, before the call, we were talking about Y Combinator as, uh, you know, uh, where uh, as a founder, you know, uh, Y Combinator has, has had, uh, done great benefits to to the founders. We got Harshal Mathur, uh, who's the founder of Razorpay, who's come onto a podcast and uh, some great benefits. But, but but for a founder, you know, somebody into the 20s uh, who looking at getting into the startup game, do you think, why Combinator has a better signaling or, you know, they should do an Ivy League MBA or do you think a Thiel Fellowship uh, brings a lot of utility and credentials if they want to build a, uh, you know, a unicorn sort of business? Uh, so, you know, so I, I think uh, you are to the system. 
your grading, uh, your class attendance, everything. So the more you're conforming, the better your grades are and the better your you know, schools, universities will end up with. So, so that's what the Ivy League uh, you know, and others uh, uh, make one person uh, you know, do and reward them. Uh, building a startup, of course, is very different in the sense that you are going against the society. In many cases, you are trying to build things which, well, which society didn't think it will need or people, uh, in many cases, uh, you know, uh, against the grain, taking a huge risk. And of course, you know, this huge risk is rewarded uh, uh, by society if you become a successful. If you don't, then of course, it's a very different issue. TL Fellowship is a bit different, I think. I mean, I, my personal view uh, has always been is that for, for young listeners in this podcast is that uh, do a degree, uh, a good degree from Ivy League or wherever so that you have a fallback options and stuff. And then go on, build your business, whether it's, uh, you know, or if you want to do a job. There's nothing wrong doing a job if you want to do, if you're, you know, it's all good. But if you want to build a business, get an MBA and then go and build a business. This whole myth that, uh, you know, dropout founders that really doesn't work i mean I, I mean i tell you i mean of my 500 or so companies that i've invested uh, i don't think there's more than four or five who are dropouts and in almost all cases these guys are from you know from all ivy league school from harvard stanford mit i mean you name it i mean these are the people who who went on and built all these businesses so yeah so i would say follow that route yeah, no, I think the media loves to play that uh, story that, you know, you don't need to do an education, but, um, <laughs> yeah. but, but as you rightly pointed out, <clears throat> just four out of 500 startups. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's, that's quite a signal. And, uh, you know, you, you have invested into a lot of fintech companies and your recent investment has been uh, a near pay. Uh, you know, what made you invest into, into them, uh, which is, which is uh, a part of your syndicate? Uh, Nearpay is a very interesting company. I mean, of course, I mean, I, I again, I mean, you know, when I talked with the founder, Avishek, uh, I was really impressed by his vision and what he's trying to build. Uh, the, the thing that really, uh, you know, I, it really clicked to me because I know the pain point very well, being someone from Indonesia, uh, from Bangladesh, from, you know, all these emerging markets is a huge cash on delivery business. We know e-commerce is going to be big. Uh, it, has, it has shown all the signals and it's only going to be bigger from where it is now. Uh, we know that uh, all these markets still a bit of way to go on getting credit cards in everyone's pocket and uh, digital wallets and all these things. So Nearpay solves this problem. And interestingly, there are uh, similar companies in other markets, especially in Indonesia, which has done very well. So, you know, we know that there's a very little business model risk because this is proven. The, the team is very solid. So uh, there is little execution risk and they will, we, they will get the tailwind from all the things that are happening with COVID-19. So all these things coming together, uh, it was an easy decision. Right, and uh, you you also run a, your your own syndicate. You've been doing for for a while. What what is uh, you know? I will share the syndicate link uh, for for the for the listeners. But uh, but what is your thesis when you looking at leading that syndicate, uh, so that you know other backers can join you? And uh, since you uh, you've done angel investing for such a long time, uh, what excites you? And uh, you know what is your finally aim uh, do you want to be a syndicate lead or do you want to create your own fund yeah so i think uh, you know so what the reason i have started uh, you know syndicating this is because you know after writing checks on four or you know, 500 companies and stuff i i and you know i have seen the performance of quite a few of these companies and i get a feeling that i have a good way to judge uh, founders and the companies you know given the track record because you know i have almost uh, I have around 12 uh, unicorns in my portfolio and these are all from seed stage 
so you know so I, I could see that you know i have a the issues are not always that bad so that okay, i mean what used to happen is you know i used to get because for running a syndicate but i had to be so busy so let someone else so i used to pass on those to others to run the syndicates uh, as a referral but nowadays you know i thought okay i mean let me do it on my own so i started running it i mean my thesis has been to of course i mean i mean i don't have any sector specific focus but there will be a bias towards fintech uh, where i am you know where i understand the space very well but you know given my exposure across health education e-commerce and mobility i mean i invested in yulu yulu bike in india uh, mm-hmm. and i uh, you know so i've seen quite a few in, in many spaces and then that would help me to judge those companies so i'll i'll probably bring in if i find any company that's exciting so it's not uh, it's just broadly sector agnostic but it will mostly be at seed stage seed or uh, a bit of late seed maybe seed plus so that there has been some traction there there is a clear monetization and the team is quite strong and there is a bit of a social uh, uh, you know recognition in the sense that there are one two good investors already on the cap table uh, so so you know so it you reduces a quite a bit of risk in the investment that way but also the valuation is not that high that the return multiple uh, gets compromised so that would be a summary of the thesis uh, in terms of geography it will mostly be emerging markets and will be very few from uh, us and other markets uh, but would mostly be from emerging markets of asia latin america and africa current and you know i wanted to uh, touch base about uh, valuations you know when you're looking at seed and seed plus you know uh, you know do you have any any metrics or any any valuation numbers uh, which which uh, signals that you know you would not want to invest like you know somebody is trying to raise a seed round at, at 10 million uh, pre valuation or or anything like that uh not exactly see the challenge with uh, you know with this term of seed seed plus series you know it has lost much meaning because you know the 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 border has been removed right so i mean right. so some some people call one uh, one company which is still you know probably that's the third round uh, they're probably already valued at 30 million but they're still calling it seed right i mean just oh. seed seed plus seed extension you know different names but they are reluctant to call it series a right? so so it's difficult but i think you know it is with the name it is the valuation and uh, which is a multiple of the revenue or the gmv you know depend on which business they are in their different criteria of valuation so as long as those matches with the valuation i'm okay I mean, whether they call it seed pre seed seed plus uh, pre series a <laughs> so you know whatever they call it as long as you know that that valuation makes sense i'm okay current current and uh, you know i quickly want to do the top 3 uh, what's your favorite business book Uh, so actually, interestingly, though though while I didn't support much on Thiel Fellow, it's it's zero to one by Peter Thiel. Yes. So, so I really like that book. Yeah. Got it. And uh, if you could go back in time when you when you started, uh, you know, angel investing, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? I think I would have waited it out a bit more. So when I started this investment, you know, I I got a bit of you know I I, I got so excited I started writing checks quite frequently. irrespective okay. of you know uh, so i probably would have waited out a bit and do a much more phased investments i guess right and and you have any favorite online tools for example gmail slack zoom uh slack so i use slack quite often uh for different purposes so slack would be a online one of the most used online tools by me and then microsoft teams yeah that's for my office purposes current and uh, you know what what is the best way people can reach out to you and, and get to know more about your syndicate 
So, I mean, so obviously for syndicate, I mean, I, I know you'll put in the link. So, you know, one can go to AngelList, uh, follow your link and, you know, uh, just support it. If there's no commitment, you just support. And then, of course, uh, if, if you like a deal, you invest. In terms of reaching out to me, I mean, there, I mean, I'm very available almost all in all social media. So in LinkedIn, someone can connect with me and send a message. I'll get it. If, if someone, I have my own personal website, www.sajidraman.com. Someone can go there and you know drop me a message. Of course, in you know, Angel List, if someone is following me or is supporting my syndicate, this can send a message there. I'm also in Twitter. I'm at Sajid Republic. So if someone wants to correct me there, they can. So we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, thank you, Sajid, for coming over and speaking to us. I really enjoyed speaking to you. Great, Rohit. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for the talk. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.